Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. The NFL Conference Championships are here, and on the site, Robert Mays is writing about why this year's Chiefs are the team that Andy Reid has been waiting for, and Kevin Clark breaks down the era of the old dominant quarterback. Also, don't forget to check out all of our sports video coverage. We've got Master Sports with Roger Sherman, Slow News Day with Kevin Clark, and NBA Desktop with Jason Concepcion. You can check it all out on YouTube and TheRinger.com. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? We are in New Orleans, Louisiana. We are. We are sitting in the same hotel room. We are crossing paths. You are leaving. I am coming. Yes. This is like this evening. Remember that scene in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure where they're on the opposite sides of the parking lot? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Don't forget to set your watch. It's kind (laughs) of like that, except we're recording a podcast Uh, instead. It's been wonderful. Uh, We are very excited to talk about the championship games because... As we talked about last Sunday, as we've talked about several times during the week, these are the best four teams. Well, we've been talking about it since about late September. (laughs) And then we got distracted. That was the problem. Because other teams were like shiny objects. We got distracted because the Chicago Bears briefly made us think they were one of the top four teams because you spread their propaganda. That's not fair there at all. I never thought they were one of the best four teams. Okay. I thought they had a chance to beat one of the best four teams. That's very different. Well, they lost to the six seed. Yeah, trust me. <laughs> they lost to Nick Foles. <laughs> all right. But that's not what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss mm. the NFC Championship game, which you will be at at the Superdome. You will be in an Arctic blast. I am not looking forward to it. My very I, I heavy winter coat is at the dry like cleaner. 35 degrees. So I have to go get my coat tomorrow. People don't remember the Des Bryant Des caught it game that was supposed to be an arctic blast and then i got out of my car that day and i didn't need a jacket were you there yeah you were in denver that day i was i was that was the day the they lost cold the speed the yeah. yeah i get all my denver playoff games mixed up because i've been to several of them and they all wow. kind of run together at this point. what a flex well it was because that's where i've usually ended up weirdly every year so i was at the uh, broncos uh, steelers game that where they beat the steelers i was at the Patriots game where they beat the Patriots and then I was at the Colts game where they lost so it's sometimes I forget which year what thing happened in Denver but what a run uh, last Sunday was my first game in the Superdome which is where you will be and it is a rematch of I went to the Super Bowl where the lights went out oh wow yeah. I watched that at Sean Fennessy's house my colleague was, was in the, the bathroom. year before I started going my colleague was in the bathroom for that and he had a <laughs> bit of an adventure <laughs> so uh, obviously, this game has been played already this year. Uh, the Saints were victorious. They won in pretty convincing fashion. I think that's one of the first weeks where the Rams' defensive woes were starting to come to light. Akeem Sleep didn't play in that game. Marcus Peters got absolutely torched in that game. Said something weird about gumbo afterward. And now we're still, here. still. By the way, Marcus Peters still going at Sean Payton. Uh, I love it. It's really good. Uh, and Sean Payton is the type of dude that is not going to just take that. And I think he will specifically scheme things in order to take advantage of Marcus Peters because Sean, Sean Payton, kind of that guy. Okay, so this <laughs> so was also clear. my theory. This was also, we, the NBA seems to have convinced themselves they've cornered the market on pettiness. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, th- you see what happened with Antonio and then, Brown and Emmanuel Sanders this or, week. Or, plus or Marcus Sean Peters. McVay's entire career. Excuse me, Sean McVay. Sean Payton's entire career. Yes. So there's a couple things here. Number one, this was my theory on Des Bryant when he was a saint for like two days because they were playing the Cowboys like three Mm -hmm. weeks after that. Like Sean Payton was just going to sit in a lab and figure out a way to get Des Bryant three touchdowns in that game. Because he, he, Sean Payton, wishes he at some point, he kind of has, he doesn't wish he was the Cowboys coach because he could have gone at some point, but it's kind of got a Gatsby's green light thing about getting that Dallas job. And Des Bryant is Des Bryant. So I always thought that. So 
I think the revenge factor, not even revenge factor because they won, but I think that the level of pettiness going against Marcus Peters will be really fascinating. To me, I don't, I think it's going to be a little bit less of a track meet than it was last time. But I really, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll discuss that in a second. But I think that, that the Peyton Peters thing is really, really fun. So, okay. So here's why I think the Peyton Peters thing goes beyond kind of curiosity into mm-hmm. actual mat actually mattering. Okay. And it's because the Saints and what's I think what's impressive about their offense right now is they can kind of achieve any situation, achieve in any situation. It doesn't matter if it's third and 15. It doesn't matter if you're playing man. It doesn't matter if you're playing zone. The Eagles played a lot of zone last week because I think that they were afraid of what those young corners would have to do against the Saints receivers. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like every single time the Saints needed to dial up the right route combination, they had it. And I was talking to Taysom Hill about this yesterday. Every time you had third and 14 or third and 10, they got a 14-yard route or a 10-yard route. They just have such so many answers for any spot that you put them in. And I think where it was zoned last week, it's going to be a lot of man this week because the Rams play a lot more man coverage. And I think you'll be able to take advantage of Marcus Peters in that because last time it was trick plays. It was flea flickers. They really tried to just manipulate him and use the fact that he can be a little bit over-aggressive. And I think that that's just who he is at his core. And I think that's why he's the type of guy you can kind of go after. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Saints offense is a matchup nightmare because they're a matchup nightmare for everybody. That's right. I mean, that that it, we can sit here and say, oh, they don't match up favorably or whatever. But I mean, they they're in the dome. Mm-hmm. They win at home, and and Drew Brees is one of the most efficient passers in the history of football. And so go ahead. So I'm with you on that. So and I think on the on the flip side, I feel like the Rams strengths match up with the Saints' strengths in a way that's conducive to the Saints because New Orleans has had one of the best run defenses in the NFL the entire year. Mm-hmm. We saw what the Rams could do to a very good defense last week with the but running they game But they have not seen C.J. Anderson and his pregnancy <laughs> weight. I don't know if you saw those comments. That's why I will not be. I will not be expanding on them. But that's that's his story. I uh, I did not make fun of C.J. Anderson because I live in a very glass house right now after spending seven days in New Orleans. I feel like I've gained like eighty pounds since I've been here. It's really bad. This I've been to the city twice in my entire life. Mm-hmm. If you're keep if you're keeping score at home, it is New Orleans two, Robert zero. I I lose to this what place every time? time. I came down here for a Sunday night game. In 2015, it was one of the last things I did for Grantland. Mm. We were just kind of, I was going to a game every weekend because I think we all, we all knew the ship was going down. So uh, I, it was very fun, but I had one too many hurricanes. I did not drink one this time because I don't do that anymore. But last time it was not good. It was a very bad situation. I, the aforementioned Super Bowl week got me so hard that I no longer, it's been five years. I don't really go out on the road anymore because of that. <laughs> That's, I'm not joking. Like, I don't like, like, I I really, truly sort of just sit around and work when I'm on the road. And a lot of that is because of, of how thoroughly New Orleans defeated me during that Super Bowl. I just have like cultural FOMO when I'm on the road. So it's not even just about going out and drinking. It's more about going out and doing something. Like I felt like I had to go to Frenchman and just like see some jazz this week because I was two blocks away from it. If I didn't, I would feel guilty about my choices. So it, it's tough, but I, uh, I'm with you. I, I also I understand the benefits of not going out. So, okay. So let's talk about, this is a long way to talk about CJ Anderson being a little, <laughs> little chubby and the Rams running the ball well. So I feel like when you, I, when I talk about the Saints and how mm-hmm. they can 
they have this break in case of emergency version of their offense where they can just get it when they need to. I don't feel the same way about the Rams. And I think because they're going to struggle to run the ball as efficiently as they normally do, you're going to be in those scenarios where we don't have a lot of faith in them. Shotgun, third and seven, putting the ball in Goff's hands and making him use the drop back game. And I think that you're going to see the same deficiencies that you've seen when the Rams have struggled over the last two months. It's that offensive line is awesome when they're the ones dictating the game. When they're not the ones dictating the game, they can struggle. And this Ram, uh, the Saints pass rush, even without Sheldon Rankins, still has Cam Jordan, still has a couple underrated edge guys as well. So I think that we're going to see those shortcomings of the Rams that we have seen over the second half of the season every once in a while on Sunday. I just feel like the Saints have more answers than the Rams are going to. I saw a really interesting stat this week that the NFL put out that essentially Breeze and Goff are opposites in this regard. Breeze... Think is the quickest or among the quickest releases in the entire NFL. That's just his thing. That's why he's able to play at age 40. It was his 40th birthday this week. He's able to limit the carnage and he's able to get on with it. And he doesn't take a lot of time behind the line. Goff is in the top five longest to get rid of the ball. He sits back there. And and listen, this is only a matter of half a second, but in the NFL, half a second is basically everything. Goff sits back there longer than almost anybody before he throws. I think that's a really interesting matchup here is I've been sort of obsessed with the sort of two and a half seconds or less game that's developed in in the trenches. Uh, You know, the Eagles last year, one of the things they were really good at was generating pressure within 2.5 seconds. I think that is so important because the quick game can really alleviate all of the pass rush unless you can really get either exterior or interior pressure really, really quickly. And so golf, in this game against some talented pass rushers against, I mean, I don't, I don't, are we in on Dennis Allen? Mm, I no. don't, that's a really good question. I feel he like this is kind of, now. this is kind of in the, it's to convince us that he's a different person from the guy he was three years ago when they were the worst defense in the league. Okay. I, but anyway, the point is Jared Goff standing back there. If, if he needs all day to throw, if that's sort of the way he wants to play, that might be a problem with the way the line's playing with the way the defensive line is playing in New Orleans. So I, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I, that's kind of how I see that going, especially when they're using, not using play action and they don't, yep. because the play action game, Everyone thinks it's just about moving the linebackers, and it is. It's the biggest part is kind of giving yourself windows. But they do such a good job of slowing down pass rushes with the play action. They're using kind of wham concepts across the formation to make it look better, but that also helps you seal the backside. gives you angles. You don't have those when you're just dropping back to pass. It gives your offensive linemen just – it puts them at a disadvantage. It doesn't give them these little tiny – edges that you do when you're using the play action game. And I think that that's going to be the problem is that if they can't use play action. You're going to see those pass rushers pop up on the other side, though, when we're talking about interior pressure in two and a half seconds, there's a guy named Aaron Donald who plays for the Rams, and he's probably going against a guy who had surgery on his hand last week and did not play well against Fletcher Cox. Okay. So okay. that's another thing we'll okay. have to watch. So here's the matchup. It's not Donald versus the interior line of the, of, of the Saints. I, I, I hear you on that, but it's not that it's, Aaron Donald against Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Because the way they can scheme out of it, if Drew Brees, if Drew Brees can throw incredibly quickly, you know, I keep going back to the way Matt Nagy handled him a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, which is when, when Aaron Donald was single teamed, which was not that often, Mitch Trubisky got rid of the ball in 1.5 seconds. And they also gave Donald a lot of help in that game. So yeah. it's just coming out from two different angles. Right. And so what I'm saying is that there's a way to bring 
there's a way to sort of scheme Aaron Donald out of a game a little bit uh, in in certain plays. I, you can't remove him. He's a game wrecker. What I'm saying is there are things you can do to neutralize his presence that teams have done this year. Absolutely, but it only takes one or two. Yes. And when you're playing against a guy who can't use one of his hands, the kind of likelihood of those one or two plays starts to rise. No, of course. So, I'm, I'm, I obviously think the world of Aaron Donald. I do think he's the best player in football. I'm just saying that it, it, the Saints are going to be well aware of, of the limitations of our one-handed friend. I agree. And I so well, I think it'll be interesting to watch what the defensive backs do and what the approach is from Wade Phillips to kind of complement that pass rush. Is he going to play a little bit more press coverage against... Because Michael Thomas is fantastic, but he's not a burner. He's not somebody that's really going to hurt you down the field if you get let him get one step behind you. It's more about just route recognition and late separation yeah. and all of that stuff. And so, all the things the defense has to do to respect Alvin Kamara, by the yes, way. Because we're not talking enough about that. So that is the side of it that I feel like if you play man coverage against the Saints, yeah. they're going to get destroyed. Because... Those linebackers are not built and are not good enough to stick with Kamara if you're going to send nope. him. Remember that the touchdown that Taysom Hill threw that came back? Yep. If you're going to use him vertically like so many good coaches have done over the last two years, think about Gurley, think about what the Chiefs have done, all of that. And then I think that it's going to be a problem. I think he is going to be the most important offensive weapon they have despite what Michael Thomas, one, has done all season and two, did against the Rams the first time around. Do you remember when there was that weird thing that went around 10 years ago about how Reggie Bush was the most important saint because of like what he did to defenses or something. And it wasn't true at all. That's such it a 2008. Like, yeah. Opinion. It was like an NFL live meme <laughs> yeah. where it was like, well, you got to have Reggie Bush in the field. And it showed that Reggie Bush, when he was off the field was significantly that the Saints, the Saints were, better. Offense were yeah. better. So, but I actually think that that is actually true of Alvin Kamar. He is what people thought maybe someone like Reggie Bush would be, which is that the entire defense has to account for him and they change looks and without someone without someone dynamic like that in the backfield, Michael Thomas getting very different looks. This was not a matter the Eagles were not just letting Michael, they know who Michael Thomas is. They were not letting him get those sort of matchups just because they wanted to. Um, that was not by choice. The Saints defense gives you a lot of looks that give Michael Thomas favorable matchups. That's how you have a 90% you know, catch rate because you're getting favorable looks all the time because Sean Payton is good, Drew Brees is good, Alvin Kamara is good, and that offense is good. They have such a, I mean, I, I wrote about, I talked about this play a little bit, but I talked about Zach Line yesterday. We were just discussing the one concept where it was like third and 13 mm -hmm. and Brees moved the, the like the cover two corner with his eyes to the sideline and Michael yeah. Thomas kind of drifted into that spot. That's the type of stuff that you just can't account for. There's nothing to do. You can run the perfect defense and they're going to beat you. And I think that's why they're so dangerous to me is because you can dial up the right call. It can be the right thing against that route combination and it doesn't matter if you don't get to him because he's going to find a way. I would like to talk briefly. It's it's kind of funny to me. I wrote a story on the ringer.com today about sort of the, this generation of older quarterbacks and what they mean for team building, how they got here, what they mean for offense, all that, all that jazz. And one of the funniest points that was made was by Matt Hasselbeck. And he said, basically, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when you start talking about quarterbacks who have seen everything, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. And what ends up happening is defensive coordinators say, well, he's seen everything, so we can't blitz him. Yeah. He's going to torch this blitz. And then what happens is you end up getting blitzed a lot less than you should. You end up getting more maybe vanilla looks, and you stay healthier than you should. 
and you just keep going. I mean, yeah. you, that's that's part of it. Is defensive coordinators not exactly sending the house? That's so true. Just think about all the kind of the numbers and the rates for like Brady yeah. getting blitzed because people are like, well, the way to beat Brady is you could only bring four, and th- if that's rooted in truth because at one point it was the way to do it, but those things just kind of endure and in, in kind of a way that's really funny. Well, it's all you just hear like it's all very anecdotal. Yes. So it's like, yes. oh, you could never blitz Peyton Manning. There was that story that John Gruden told years ago about the time that uh, he sent the house against Peyton Manning and Peyton mm-hmm. Manning threw a touchdown, like a 50-yard touchdown. He walked past John Gruden and said, are you kidding me? And like, I, I heard that story. And I'm sure everybody else did. <laughs> and they're just like, we're never blitzing yeah, never Peyton Manning again. again. It's just never yeah. going to happen again. And then you get 10 years of just not being blitzed. And then you learn to play against it. I mean, everybody seems, to, it, again, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy at some point. These older quarterbacks can get comfortable because defensive coordinators don't really want to make them uncomfortable. Yeah. And the thing with me, it's not about that kind of overarching, they've seen everything way to approach it. I was listening to Breeze talk yesterday and a couple mm-hmm. other guys in the offense. And it's really just the backlog of communication between him yeah. and Sean Payton. So they can, when they're tweaking route concepts and route depths and alignments and kind of how team guys are spaced, they can talk about how, well, we need to do it two steps to the left here because this safety moves his eyes like so-and-so did in 2010 yep, when yep, we yep, played yep. the Packers. You know, and that, it is so valuable to have that. You know what I'm ta- oh, I just want to touch on that. Talk to Rich Gannon this week. Mm-hmm. He made a very similar point about the continuity with specifically Brady and Breeze and until this year with Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. He said, basically, from Charlie Weiss to Josh McDaniels to Bill O'Brien to the weird year Bill Belichick was the coordinator, back to Josh. He's, Tom Brady has essentially run the same library of plays. Yes. The same general theme. Breeze is the same way for his New Orleans stuff. And he said, the thing no one talks about, even though it's so hard to learn, he called it you know Spanish, then German, then Russian, right? Be- even and though it's, it's this so... Is a, and with the Saints, it's a Russian novel. I mean, that thing is <laughs> thick. But he said, people talk about how hard it is to, to learn a new offense, and that's true. But he said, what you really lose when you keep stopping and starting on off- on offenses and, and different sort of schemes and different coaches is you lose the library of plays. Mm-hmm. He was saying, one of the things that Brady and Breeze can do is if they need to make an adjustment, they can say, hey, Remember that play we ran in 2011? That would really work right yeah. now. Yeah. And everybody knows what they're talking it's about. It's so valuable. And, it's so important. And everybody from from Pete Carmichael to Sean Payton to Drew Brees, not the players. That's but they the can, weirdest part is the Pete Carmichael thing, by the way. The fact why? that they had the same offensive coordinator for yeah. a decade, yeah. it was a really good offense. You never see that. It's so strange. I don't know what to tell you. So it's just, there's, there's little hidden advantages that both veteran quarterbacks have here that I think is really fascinating. Totally. Well, I want to talk about Kamara very briefly one more time before we talk about the AFC Championship game. Because remember last year, he was running into some of the lightest boxes in the league, and mm-hmm. that's a huge part of why his rushing efficiency was so good. Mm-hmm. This year, it feels like even though Drew Brees is on the Saints, a lot of teams have done all they can to slow down the running game. You know, Gurley yeah. ran into eight or more man boxes 6% of the time this season. That's the third lowest rate in the league, or 8% of the time, excuse me, 8.2. The only guys less are Wendell Smallwood and Tariq Cohen. <laughs> Wendell Smallwood and Tariq Cohen are not built like Todd Gurley. So th- that's what makes the Rams so good, is that they're so just smart about how the offense has to work in order to keep teams in nickel. And they do that a lot with their 11 personnel. Yeah. And they say, all right, fine. You want to play base against us? We're going to throw the ball all over the place. Fine. You want to play nickel? We're going to run it right down your throat. 
the Saints haven't been able to do that this season. Ingram is near the top of the league. And where Kamara was right in that 6 to 8% range last year, he's at more than 22% this year. Teams are loading up to stop the run because of how good the Saints were at running the ball last year. And what does that do? It gives Michael Thomas favorable matchups, like exactly what you were saying. It's just there's no smart way to go about this. Yeah, they're really good on offense. Yeah. <laughs> and my advice, my advice about playing the Saints in the Dome is to not play the Saints in the Dome. It's to pray. <laughs> it is to go to a church somewhere like right before you're about to take the field and just take your best shot. I mean, it's looking at this now, it's so interesting. So the only guys that faced eight or more more often this season than Ingram, this is a list that makes total sense. Like Garrett Blount, Rice Freeman, Royce Freeman, Leonard Fournette, Nick Chubb, Carlos Hyde, Alfred Morris, Alec Collins, Derrick Henry. That's like those quarterbacks on those teams for the most part aren't very good. <laughs> Dude, what's your prediction? I think the Saints win. I just think there's two, they have too many ways to do it. But what what, what does the game look like? Is it 34 to 31 and 34 to 27 20? 21. 27 21? Yeah. I think that's probably correct. That's, that's what I'm looking at. I think the Rams will try to take the air out of the ball a little bit more than they did last time. I think they will try to run, even though the Saints are a very good run, run defense. I'll be curious to see. The Rams did such a good job last week. Just a, a phenomenal coaching job. But they, you're using more 12 personnel now. Yeah. They're kind of going against some wow, of the they're tendencies. they're owning your story, brother. It's really, But it's really smart, right? Because in the playoffs, you kind of need to fight left-handed every once in a while. So I guess in, in Rocky, was right-handed. But... And they're using more 12 personnel. They're running it out of 12 personnel a lot. They ran out of shotgun twice. Yeah. They never do that. And they gain like 11 yards per carry. So we think we know how this game is going to go. But in reality, at this point in the year, a lot of times teams look different than they have for much of the regular season because they know they need to do something a little bit different. I kind of liked the Indomitian suit comeback game last week. Yeah. I mean, he's good. He's very talented. We've always known this. He's not as talented as the other guy, though. I, I think the other guy makes one or two big plays this week against the Andres Pete broken hand. <laughs> All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break. Today's episode is sponsored by ADT. ADT can design and install a smart home just for you. Backed by 24-7 protection for a new smart home at your service customized for your lifestyle. With a secure ADT smart home, you can set up custom automations unique to your home. Use ADT Automation to unlock the front door for friends who arrive at your place early for the game while you're still getting snacks. Your system can automatically do things like lock the doors and set the thermostat when you leave, even close your garage door from virtually anywhere. All controlled from the ADT app or the sound of your voice and backed by 24-7 protection. There's no need to worry about installing and configuring your system. ADT will D-I-F-Y do it for you. ADT will set up your home with multiple smart home devices and security features like indoor and outdoor cameras, locks, lights, and garage door control, even video doorbells. Visit ADT.com smart to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. ADT.com smart. All right, let's get to the other game, a game I will be at. Chiefs, yeah. Patriots. I mean, it's this is as good as it gets, man. So I, I liked the uh, the Peyton Manning thing. Uh, I have my own fun little anecdote from uh, from yesteryear that, that, that bird is distracting me now. <laughs> wow. Just so... All right, all right, all right, all right. Just so we got to tell the listener what's going on. It, all right, it, there's so many problems happening. I'm not going to be able to listen to that bird. I don't think they want to listen to that bird, that bird either. So... so 
we in order to record this podcast, we have to turn off the air conditioning. Yes, so it's very so, hot. So, in so here. you don't hear. It's not that hot. It's hot. You're it's wearing basketball shorts. I'm wearing boots and jeans. I'm wearing an Orlando Magic shooting shirt. <laughs> and uh, and so Robert said, "Open the window," and then we did. And then within 30 seconds, he'd become distracted by a bird. The bird kept chirping. It's not my fault. <laughs> I was going to listen to that bird the whole time. I'm trying to make a point here. <sighs> okay. All right. So so uh, this the, tell, tell your tell your nostalgia. So it's I I wrote a story today about uh-huh. how this Andy Reid offense has really been coming for 20 years. Yes. And he's kind of, he built the foundation with the West Coast and then kind of, kind of putting on additions to the house over the years. And they were in the form of spread concepts. They were in the form of, you know, certain types of route combinations and mm-hmm. route alignments. And then really the last kind of piece was Patrick Mahomes. So Brad Childress told me a great story about how Andy has innovated more than other West Coast coaches have. Mm-hmm. And the story was about Mike Holmgren. And they never used shotgun in Green Bay when when Brett Favre was there, and this it was all under center. And apparently, you know, this is when the the run and shoot was kind of kind of coming to prominence in like the late late eighties, early to early nineties. So they were looking at that stuff, and they're like, "Man, I kind of think that would work with Favre. We should try it." And I guess in the walkthrough the day before they were going to use their first shotgun formation, the snap went over Brett Favre's head, and Homegrown was like, "Fuck it." It's out. We're not using it. And like that's the beauty of Andy Reid is that he's never said that. It's never been, right. oh, that doesn't work for me. It's right. how can I make that work for me? Right. And that's why the Chiefs have become the Chiefs. It's it, What's amazing to me is beyond just the, the talent and the quarterbacks is we have four of the best coaches. Uh, McVay isn't there yet because it's only been a year and a half for him. No, but the stuff, like what but, he did last I mean, week, like that's, store, that's how you get on your way. What I'm saying is like these are like Pantheon level coaches. Oh, and Belichick then, and Reed are the two best coaches of my lifetime, hands down. I mean, I thought this create creativity. Do you know that? So obviously, the Rams score from less personnel packages than any team in the league. Yes, only three. Do you know? You know who leads the league in most personnel packages? It's probably the Chiefs. From? It is the Saints. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, that makes sense though because they use a lot of twenty-one and a lot of twelve. Where yeah. the Chiefs well, they also don't have Taysom as much. Hill. I mean, they use Taysom Hill everywhere. Yeah, so but yeah, the they, Chiefs also use a lot of different personnel packages. They have thirteen. That's, that's that's so crazy. Hey, guess what? Offense off scheme lord Frank Reich is second. <laughs> <laughs> well, they love them since right. twelve and thirteen. So so I just think that that's that's a really interesting wrinkle is how good these freaking coaches are. Yeah, and you know it's funny I, when I was putting my Wildcat story in August that this the story was that. Tony Sperano said, if you ever fumble the, in the Wildcat in practice, we're not running it. Yeah. T- <laughs> coaches are wired to just avoid fumble. All the they risk care averse, about is that They're risk averse. That is what football coaches if, are. If, you, if, if an offensive coordinator came to you and was like, I came to a head coach and was like, I'm going to score 70 points a game and I've got this quarterback who's going to have 158.3 rating at all times. And if he fumbled once <laughs> on July 29th, they'd be like, screw it. We're going back to the ground and pound. <laughs> Um, and that's it's the beauty of what Reed has created. And when you watch them, and everyone I talked to, I talked to Matt Nagy for the story, and we were just discussing really kind of what the basis of this offense is. And it really is the same West Coast principles that Reed has been using since he was in Green Bay. And they've done a good job of shortening play calls to make it easier on mm-hmm. guys that come from these spread concept or these spread offenses where it's one word. Well, I saw that start with Belichick, by the way. Hmm? Belichick started a lot of that because he got it from Chip Kelly. They, and they've done that. They, yeah. they do like one that they do a ton of that stuff. Yeah. So the Chiefs have done that. But there are some of these play calls. And when Nagy would read it off to me, it's like 13 words long, but it sounds like he's saying it all in one word because that's how Reed says it because he said it so yeah. many times. And it's just you can understand 
how the DNA of the West Coast has been imprinted in Andy Reid, but he just dresses it up like it's a spread offense. And yeah. sometimes it's it, a little bit more than that. Like they started using more three by one bunch sets to yeah. combat the rise of man coverage and all of this stuff. But it's just so fascinating that we have this thing that looks like it's never been done before, but in actuality, it has been done before, just not with this level of open mindedness. You know, the thing I always come back to is the conversation I had with Andy Reid in 2013, where he said, college is usually about five years behind the pros. And when in five years, you're going to see college cons. Yeah. That's basically it. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but that's basically what he said. And I'll be damned if the 2018 season wasn't, excuse me, the 2018 Super Bowl wasn't just a big 12 game. And yeah. this is five years since Reed got there. He got there in 2013. Right. So this that's, is the reason we later. talked is because he was doing, he was sort of talking back then. Yeah. He doesn't really. Yeah. He doesn't talk as much anymore. He doesn't really talk anymore. So, and, and, um, but it's so funny because there are limits to it, right? But then, so it's two different things. One, yeah. you have to build on it. So when they started all these RPO concepts in 2013, it was all bubble screens because mm -hmm. that's what RPOs were back in the day. It was that inside run paired with the bubble screen out to the outside. But then they started putting slants in instead of bubbles to make yep. it, to give it a twist. Jeff Schwartz told me a funny story about how they tried to install the the pistol, like the Chris Alt they pistol. Had, Chris Alt was a, uh, was a consultant. He was a consultant. So he was there. And apparently the run calls and the, like the strategy and the scheme in the pistol is backwards for offensive linemen. Like the call is counterintuitive to what you would normally think it would be with other play calls. So they just fucked it up over and over and over again when they started. So it's, there are limits to this, but there are so few, there's so many coaches who just wouldn't even try. And I think that's what, that's like at the core of the brilliance of what Andy Reid has done. Yeah. So I think that's fascinating. I, did you get, just, this is an aside. Chris Alt came in. Remember, everybody was trying to hire him as a defensive consultant because of Kaepernick. Yeah, that's, do you remember? No, this? I don't remember that. So Ka he was that makes sense. He though. was Kaepernick's he was, college in, coach. in Nevada. Yes, yeah. And then everybody was like, "We got to stop this this damn read option." So they all tried to get it, and I believe his deal was, "I will not help." Stop my, my I love former that. I love that. I will, I will not like stifle my creation. But what I will do is go down to the go up to the pro level and teach them yeah. the pistol. So I and again, That's Andy so Reid on freaking top of it. I mean, think about the diversity of the backgrounds. Matt Nagy was a high school coach. Yep. I mean, Eric Bieniemy has college, you know, he was a Colorado, he has college background. Yep. I mean, this is not they're not just going out and getting their friends here. They're getting a lot of Andy Reid's Andy Reid's looking at so many different offensive philosophies and blending them under the West Coast umbrella. It's really incredible. Yeah. And it's and it, again, it's all rooted in a willingness. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's in bad. Brad Childress told me another story about Mike Holmgren where they would try to bring this stuff in. He'd be like, I don't know that play. We're not running that play. And Reed is the exact opposite. I wrote about this in August, but yeah. they had a board in the, in, in Reed's office in Kansas city. I believe they probably, probably still do where they would just, it was the beautiful mind board and you would just yeah. go in and write down play concepts all the time. So the whole, this is a very long winded way of saying the chief's office is very good and it's very hard to stop. So what do you think is, I mean, this is anybody's guess, but what do you think the Patriots defense is going to try okay. to do to slow down? The okay. Chiefs offense? Okay. Tyree kill. Yes. Okay. So next gen stats, put this out, by the way, if you're not just stats, studying great. next gen stats all the time, you're a bad football. Fan. There is so much amazing. Th this but week I is proven to me. There's so much amazing information so I, out there. I, I, I knew that like three years ago, I wrote, when I wrote a story about it, that they were sitting on this gold mine and I, and I wrote it. And so there's a lot coaches don't want this stuff out there. Okay. They don't want the all 22. I mean, let's, let's give a big picture. They don't want all coaches really do not want all 22 out there. 
They really Which is don't so want, dumb. They really don't. And, and this has been written about. The Wall Street my, my the guy I replaced the Wall Street Journal as the NFL writer wrote an amazing piece about this, about how basically coaches and the competition committee truly wanted to block all 22. And it really took a lot of pushback for them to even approve it five years ago. So there's a couple of things. Number one is that they didn't want next-gen stats out there essentially because they just think that in a lot of cases, there are coaches who just believe that that this sort of data should not be public. And there's, I think there's a nature of they don't want to be second-guessed. I mean, again, it's all out there. Coaches have talked about this. There's also been resistance to, um, you know, coaches. There's been resistance to even, even any technology on the sideline, including tablets with sort of up-to-date pictures. The whole thing is just bizarre. The, the NFL coaches' relationship with technology is is still quite hilarious. However, that's a long way of saying next-gen stats rules. Patriots defense. And lay this one on me because it's a really good one. Okay, the Patriots defense, their defensive backs have allowed the second lowest yards per attempt in press coverage mm-hmm. and the lowest passer rating. Okay. Stefan Gilmore has allowed one reception on 15 deep targets in press coverage. Okay. And, and by the way, four receptions on eight targets and off coverage. Okay? Tyreek Hill averages the absolute best yards per route. It's fun when the stats line up in press coverage. <laughs> it's, you don't want to press Tyreek Hill. He's faster than you. His press coverage yards per route is better than any player since 2016. 4.1 yards per route. This is awesome. Yeah. This is awesome. It's it's strength on strength, and that's why I'm so curious to see how he's going to do it because the Rams, or excuse me, the Patriots play a man coverage, I believe, on 58% of their snaps, mm-hmm. which is the highest rate in the league. It's the opposite of what you saw last week. Mm-hmm. So last week, you saw what the Chiefs can do against a zone-heavy team. They did an amazing job of just kind of picking it apart, and we know how good Mahomes is against zone. He's also very good against man, though. And they're very hard to stop when you're playing that kind of press coverage because of their team speed. So something has to give. I just don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great, great, great stylistic matchup. The thing in fighting and the thing in boxing is styles make fights. Yep. This is it. This yep. is the fight. So do you think that we're going to see what the Patriots have done all season? Or do you think it's going to be one of those Belichick things where they just come out and say, we're going to rush we're gonna drop eight we're yeah gonna, i mean I, it's just it, and just something well, completely i don't know i mean there's a couple of things do they maybe they just play a particularly violent brand of press cover almost do what they did to peyton manning 15 years ago it just ago. feels like that's that was what i was gonna say that, because, that i wrote that on tuesday and the more i think about it the more it makes sense is for them to just so I talked to Mike Prayer about this, and he talked, and don't get mad at me, Seahawks Twitter, but he's talked a little bit about the Seahawks in the past, <laughs> about how basically their it's gambit, on every play. Their gambit <laughs> was to commit what is essentially rampant pass interference <laughs> on the I, first. I love how afraid you are of Seahawks Twitter. First, and I wrote it, and I got, they got mad at me. This is five years, six years ago. So so Pereira said they they what they do is they commit a very flagrant pass interference yes. very quickly. Yes. And so that establishes a baseline. Yeah. Okay. And then it's, well, you can't throw it now. I, well, you should have seen what I did on the other play. They, they, you should pr- see the other Pereira's guy. Pereira's theory is that that, that was, this was 2013. This yeah. Is not the this is much Seahawks. different now. Yeah. And But what I'm saying is that I would not be surprised if Belichick was like, you know what? This guy can pick us apart. He is, he's, you know, we've played him already. Now, here's the deal. They, they baited him into one of the worst interceptions he's thrown all year, Mahomes. That, mm-hmm. that, that passed, which, which linebacker was that? I can't remember. Yeah, but it was, it was a weird one. Yeah. Okay. And so maybe they think they can confuse him a little bit. He is a young starter. Tom Brady is 10 and 0 against 
playoff starters in the first year. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's something to that. I don't think that's a Brady stat. I think it's a Belichick it's a, it's stat. A Patriot that's stat, a for Patriot sure. stat. So I think there's ways to confuse him. Uh, or the ways Belichick might think there's ways to confuse him. Sure. And he would game plan for that. I think the other option is just try to beat the crap out of the receivers and hope that the refs give you some favorable. I mean, it's going to be cold. It's going to be on the road. But I, 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 I can see a bunch of different scenarios. One is that Belichick tries to go with a very finesse, very smart game plan. One is that he just tries to knock the crap out of those guys. I think that the way you couple your front with that finesse game plan is you try to contain rush him. Mm-hmm. You have a game where Trey Flowers doesn't pin his ears back and get after the quarterback. It's funny because that's the Patriots. They can be either. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, people say their pass rush isn't very good, but that's not true. I mean, their pass rush just is more passive at certain times based on the game plan. So I think in that finesse game plan, you're going to see them do that controlled rush, keep him in the pocket, don't let him create. On the other side of it, I think you're going to see, let's go get him because if we're, we're manhandling the receivers, he has to make a quick decision. You, and, you, and you make him... and you. The pass rush is good. He can't make that quick decision. So, or that, so it's going to be. I'm I'm very curious to see what's going to happen. It's just there's so many different ways that I think that both these teams could attack each other, and I have no idea which one's going to happen. Well, you never know with Belichick. Exactly. There, there's just prediction. Well, the only thing I know turn. is that James White will set another, broke another of Jerry Rice's records. <laughs> just catch 20 passes in that game. All right. So let's get to the other side then. So what was so cool to me about what the Patriots did last week, right? We knew the Chargers were likely going to come out in a similar defense in the sense that it was going to be light. They were going to have safeties, linebacker, all that stuff. Put a clown suit on Gus Bradley. And he really did. <laughs> he really did. So we, I thought, okay, they're just going to crush them. Remember when the Patriots would play the Colts a couple years ago and they would just throw the ball six times and it was like 50 runs because they knew the Colts couldn't stop the Jonas them. Gray game? Yeah. yeah. Like the Patriots are not afraid. And then they just cut the guy who did that. Yeah. <laughs> It might be the most Belichickian thing that's ever happened. So uh, that's what we. So last week, I think Sony Michelle got twenty six carries or yeah. whatever. But a lot of that came late. What they did is kind of a wrinkle on their wrinkle was to use the play action game just so efficiently. Brady was nine of twelve on play action. I think it was for one hundred and thirty two of his yards. Mm-hmm. And I could see the same thing happening because the Chiefs' run defense is very bad. And you don't want to play with those. You want to avoid those pass rushers because they can really wreck a game, even though the Pats offensive line is very good. Again, yeah. just so many strengths. But I think that because we believe they're going to run the ball so much, that's when the play action game starts to open up. Yeah. I mean, it's Brady. It's, it's not MVP level Brady, but it's still Brady in the playoffs. Now, yeah. there's a couple of things. He was pretty damn good last I've week. I've seen some people on Patriot Twitter who are getting a little defensive about the fact that they have lost their last two AFC Championship games on the road. One mm-hmm. of them was to Peyton Manning. One of them was to the ghost of Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning's bones is how Peyton I like to Manning's refer to it. Bones, a, a Peyton Manning jersey over bones. <laughs> and Take off his helmet. It's just the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. yeah. And uh, hey, he won the Super Bowl. Dude. <laughs> but people were saying the offensive line is much better. And it's that's, much that's, better. That's the X factor. And it that's much true. Better. That's true. Dante Skarnecchia is back in the biggest way. Biggest move for the Patriots of the offseason. The one that, I mean, we'll talk about it when they make the Super Bowl. Because you hit every storyline when a team goes to the Super Bowl. Trent Brown, they got him for nothing. He'd make it $1.7 million. $1.7 million. It, he's their starting left tackle. It's unbelievable. I mean, obviously, he was supposed to be the swing tackle because Isaiah Wynn was supposed to start. But it doesn't matter. It's just the fact that matter. that guy is – you get tackle depth for $1.8 million, and it's a guy that talented. It's just Belichick stays winning, man. So in college, I sort of have a theory that um, the strength coach is like the second most important guy. <laughs> 
But this is a take shop, even though we're not Miami, doing those right now. At Miami, University of Miami, they had this guy, Tommy Moffat, and he just took like a bunch of two stars like Ed Reed and just turned them into NFL <laughs> superstars. And then he went to LSU and he just did the same thing. Yeah. And then we stopped having. Yeah. That, that, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> the so secret, the secret sauce. Well, that's probably a better yeah, way to phrase right, right. that. No, no. It's just all that's this is hard work. It's yeah, hard exactly. Work. It's really putting the time. And no, I and uh so that's sort of my theory is that just like the conditioning and the strength aspect in college is so important where there's just such a huge difference between how guys, how guys bodies are offensive line coaches are kind of like that in the NFL where it's just 95% of the time you're like, how is this, how, how is this team good? And it's like, Oh, they have, they have Bill Callahan or something. Yeah. Like it's just like yeah. Bill, Bill Callahan is like, should be the most coveted free agent right now. Cause apparently Washington's allowing him to leave. Zach Taylor might bring him in. Like the Bengals are going to win the super bowl in two years. <laughs> Bill Callahan. <laughs> and like, Frank, Dante, Pollock, yeah. Frank Pollock is also Frank now Pollock. on the market because yeah, he was in Cincinnati. Like Dave, yeah. Dave DiGuglielmo. Yep. Bring him in. Yep. Just like Dante Skarnecchia should be making $15 million a year. <laughs> What I and I, the Bears brought in Harry Highstand this year. He was fantastic. Everyone, all the smart people, like Lewis Riddick has said, they this also just solve problems. There's yes. never like a this off this offensive line coach has a bad offensive line. They just figure it out. Yeah, Mike that, Munchak's gonna crush it in Denver. Yeah, that that's it's a huge hire. And again, it's a. Lewis Riddick said this and a lot of people have been saying this the new coach is the most important hire they can make outside of the coordinator, which is most likely a defensive coordinator, is the offensive line coach. I mean, just wait. Are they stealing my take that I just made up? No, you know that's been, yeah. That people keep saying that that like no. that's the most important coach. I'm retroactively staff. claiming this take. That's if they, it's if, totally say, fine. If someone has made this take before, it's fake. That's my favorite conversation I had last year, Super Bowl week, was with Jeff Stoutland. and we were just talking. Former about, Miami Hurricanes. There, there you uh, go. Inter, not only offensive line coach, <laughs> interim coach. <laughs> so talking Double to whammy. Jeff Stoutland is the offensive line coach for the Eagles, uh-huh. and we were just discussing how. The Eagles' offensive line and more or less the Eagles' offense was built on creative problem solving and how they had so many different ways to block specific plays that other teams don't even think about. Mm -hmm. And again, it's just that. You just find ways to make it work. Guess who else has amazing offensive lines? The Rams and the Saints. This is not an accident. This stuff matters. Offensive lines are important. Yes, folks. extremely important. Especially when you're playing Aaron Donald and Cam <laughs> Jordan. All right. Uh, what's your prediction? Jesus. All right. I hate this. I hate this underdog stuff. It's the worst. I hate it. It's, it's the fucking worst. I'm going to say 27 to 25 Kansas City Chiefs. The problem. 27, 25. I'm 20, 27, 24 is when I'm going. They, I, they, it's a push. I'm going the same, the same thing. We're, 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 we're in agreement here. The thing about New England is uh, when, when they do this shit, there's no one in that room that when Brady's the podium is going to be like, yo, Tom, this is fucking dumb. <laughs> you are not an underdog. That's the problem. No, I mean, they always, but, they, but I remember Teddy Bruschi doing the nobody believed in this thing when they, when they beat. It's the worst. Like their third, when they won their third Super Bowl. I remember it was just like, everybody believed in you, dude. Every single person believed in you. Yeah. We're it, in an era where everybody believes in the teams that win. Again, the top seeds just keep making the Super Bowl. The last time a Super Bowl participant played a road game was six seasons ago, okay? We're in the era of everybody believes in anything in the NFL. There are no underdogs right now, including you, Tom Brady. They're going to win. I'm picking the Chiefs. The Patriots, and the Patriots are going to oh, win. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the Patriots are no, 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 no. I'm, I'm picking the Chiefs, <laughs> yeah. but the Patriots are absolutely going to win. All right, guys, that is all we have for today. We will be back on Sunday night. Me from Kansas City, Kevin from New Orleans, and 
as always, thank you for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's time to turn the air conditioning back on. Thanks, guys. Today's episode is sponsored by ADT. ADT can design and install a smart home just for you, backed by 24-7 protection and control from the ADT app or the sound of your voice. Set up custom automations unique to your home to automatically do things like check on your home's cameras, even when you're in the nosebleeds. Visit ADT.com smart to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you.